Cybersecurity experts are sounding the alarm about Georgia's voting system, a newly filed court brief. So they are suggesting that cities like Atlanta switch to hand-marked paper ballots in elections coming up this fall what? instead of the Dominion voting machines that were purchased by the state in what? 2019. What? Where have I heard that before? <laughs> Glad they're noticing in Atlanta. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Finally. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV. Out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices channel. Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Well, when possible, it's always nice to begin with some encouraging news, Desiree. Oh, yes, yes, please. I, you know, uh, because after this, as you can be sure, things are going to go quickly downhill thereafter. <laughs> so uh, here's a small bit of good news, or as one Daily Coast poster noted when blogging about this last night, quote, the wheels of justice may take a while to get moving, but moving they are. A federal judge in Colorado has disciplined two lawyers who filed a lawsuit challenging the 2020 election late last year, finding that the case was, quote, frivolous, quote, not warranted by existing law and, quote, filed in bad faith. In a scathing 68-page opinion, Magistrate Judge N. Reed Neurider found that the lawyers made little effort to corroborate information that they had included in the suit, which argued that there had been a vast national conspiracy to steal the election from President Donald Trump. You mean there wasn't? He particularly called out the duo, Gary D. Fielder and Ernest John Walker, those are the two attorneys, for quoting Trump in their legal filing, which cited a presidential tweet that claimed without evidence that voting machines manufactured by the company Dominion Voting Systems had, quote, deleted 2.7 million Trump votes nationwide. Wow. Well, if the president of the United States said it, it must be true. Let's include it in the lawsuit. 
Neurider called that allegation, quote, highly disputed <laughs> and inflammatory and said the lawyers made no efforts to verify it. The two lawyers filed the case as a class action on behalf of 160 million American voters, alleging a complicated plot engineered by Dominion, Facebook, its founder, Mark Zuckerberg, his wife, Priscilla Chan, and elected officials in four different states. They had sought $160 billion in damages. The case, however, was dismissed in April, but Norrider ruled that the attorneys had violated their ethical obligations by lodging it in the first place and by peppering their motions with wild allegations that they had made little effort to substantiate. Legal rules prohibit attorneys from clogging the court systems with frivolous motions or from filing information that is not true. While the lawyers attached affidavits from various people who alleged the election had been rigged, Washington Post notes that's a, a common tactic of Trump supporters in the dozens of uh, challenges that were filed after the election. Uh, despite that, Norrider said a close examination of the testimony showed it was, quote, notable only in demonstrating no firsthand knowledge by any plaintiff of any election fraud, misconduct, or malfeasance. In other words, anyone can make a, an affidavit about anything they want, but none of these people had any sort of firsthand knowledge about any of the things that were actually being claimed in this lawsuit. Calling the suit, quote, one enormous conspiracy theory, the judge ordered that the duo must pay the legal fees of all of the individuals and companies that they had sued. That includes 18 separate entities in wow. all as a way to dis deter future similar cases. In short, the judge wrote this was no slip and fall at the local grocery store. Albeit disorganized and fantastical, the complaint's allegations are extraordinarily serious and, if accepted as true by large numbers of people, are the stuff of which violent insurrections are made. He's right about that. Indeed. And so is uh, Michael Zapandowski, an attorney himself, writing over at Daily Coast, who said the wheels of justice may take a while to get moving, but moving they are. He says, I'm an attorney myself. Sanctions, sanctions like this are the principal frontline means by which our legal system attempts to assert some degree of control over attorneys who abuse the power that comes with their law license. Of course, he notes, countless such lawsuits have been filed by Trump's attorneys since the results of last November's election, and every single one of those attorneys should be sanctioned, he said. But this is a good start. In my mind, uh, Zapandowski writes, holding Trump's lawyers accountable with sanctions is just as important as bringing criminal charges against the violent insurrectionists who stormed the Capitol on January 6th. After all, all of Trump's lawsuits were trying to accomplish the very same thing as the insurrectionists, overturning the results of a Democratic election. The lawsuits were fueled by the same conspiracy theories and the same sense of arrogance and privilege. We should treat these lawsuits, he says, as just as serious of a threat to our democracy as the January 6th insurrection. Just as the insurrectionists no doubt felt they would 
face no consequences for their violent actions, so too Trump's lawyers no doubt felt that they would get away with filing lawsuits with zero factual or legal support, either because they are rich, white lawyers who can get away with these things by default, or because they were acting at the behest of a very powerful person. Donald Trump in this case. So here are the principles, Zapandowski says, are being validated by the judge's ruling. A, filing a lawsuit with no factual or legal support to overturn the results of a Democratic election is not permitted in the rules of our legal system. B, doing so at the behest of someone who was, at the time, President of the United States, provides Absolutely no cover or excuse. And see, no one is above the law. Now, I agree. He's right. And I hope that people understand how serious sanctions against attorneys actually are. This is a big deal. At the same time, the uh, Post, Washington Post, reminds us uh, in June, a panel of judges in New York suspended the law license of former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani arguing that Trump's personal lawyer had, quote, communicated demonstrably false and misleading statements that amounted to an ongoing threat to the public. Last month, a federal judge in Michigan spent nearly six hours skeptically questioning a group of nine lawyers there, including Trump attorneys Sidney Powell and L. Lynn Wood, as she sought to determine whether to sanction them over a lawsuit that sought to overturn Biden's win in that state. A ruling is expected in that matter soon. And I'm not in the business of predictions, but I don't think it is going to be pretty for those attorneys based on the uh, the transcripts and, and, and questioning of those attorneys in that six hour session as well. Uh, the Post notes other disciplinary actions are pending before a Wisconsin judge and in front of bar associations in multiple states. As Zapandowski writes at Daily Coast, with Giuliani losing his law license and under criminal investigation, other Trump attorneys likewise in the crosshairs of judges across the nation, more than 600 individuals charged with crimes Related to January 6th and Trump himself under active criminal investigation, the walls, he argues, are closing in on the network of individuals who, in 2020 and 2021, attempted to launch a coup against our democracy. Well, I hope he is right. I'd say he's a lawyer, he should know, but for this story reminding us again how freaking stupid people can be, <laughs> yes, even if they are lawyers in a court of law. Yeah, but not necessarily directly stupid, but also perhaps uh, intending to try to overthrow. Therefore, they're on board with it. Well, exactly. They knew what they were doing. They yeah. knew what they were doing when they were lying about this. And if they didn't, frankly... They have no business uh, being officers of the court, as attorneys actually are. Of course, none of this is uh, actually going to stop the authoritarian right, formerly known as the Republican Party, from attempting to undermine elections that they realize they can no longer win in a fair fight. That, of course, is why at least 18 GOP-controlled states have enacted at least 30 laws, making it more difficult to vote since the 2020 election, during which, despite a once-in-a-century pandemic, we actually had a very 
relatively smooth uh, voting process, seemingly secure with, as even Donald Trump's own Department of Justice conceded, no evidence of fraud whatsoever that might have changed election results. That is also why Texas Governor Greg Abbott on Thursday announced a second special session of the Texas State Legislature that will begin on Saturday, just as soon as the current special session, described by Texas Democrats as a suppression session, <laughs> just as soon as that one officially ends, as The Hill reports this afternoon, Texas Governor Greg Abbott has officially called for a second special legislative session to begin Saturday with elections on the agenda as state GOP members aim to pass a sweeping voting bill that prompted Democratic lawmakers to leave the state in protest last month. The governor, and by the way, they didn't leave in protest. They left to, they left to block the bill from being able to be voted on. The governor, who had promised to call a second session to pass the GOP elections bill, issued a proclamation on Thursday saying the session begins noon on Saturday, just one day after the first special session is scheduled to end. The agenda items for the upcoming special session include, quote, legislation strengthening the integrity of elections in Texas. So that's what they call it now, strengthening election integrity. And they need a special session because it's an emergency. Yes. An emergency to yes. stop all the ways that black and brown people voted in yes. Texas. That, despite no evidence, of course, of fraud in the state that would require such a uh, emergency special session, much less the voter suppression measures that uh, the Republicans are now, now trying to push through. As well, uh, the session will include a number of other items, uh, reports The Hill, like legislation banning mandatory mask mandates in public K-12 schools as the Delta variant of the coronavirus sweeps through Texas like a plague and infecting more young children who, below the age of 12, you know, cannot be vaccinated. Also, he wants uh, the session to provide additional funding for border security because, you know, that's what Republicans pretend to be concerned about. The uh, voting bill in question, which was passed by the GOP-led state Senate last month, the day after House Democrats left on a flight bound for D.C., that law proposes several restrictions on voting, including banning 24-hour voting centers, drive-through voting facilities, and outdoor structures such as parking garages, as were impl implemented very successfully last year in the state's largest and, yes, most diverse county. Well, you got to put a stop to that. That would be Harris County, uh, which includes Houston, which, of course, leans heavily Democratic. And that is the only reason that Republicans want to block that type of voting. It is not to stop fraud. It is to stop voting, specifically by Democrats. Texas House Democrats who left the state to prevent a quorum in the Texas legislature so they couldn't pass the bill. They've not yet revealed how they plan to move forward in response to the uh, push to pass the anti-voting bill in a second special emergency legislative session. Democrats have fervently opposed this uh, bill, of course, over arguments that it would disproportionately make it harder for voters of color and those with disabilities to cast their ballots, all of which is true. Democrats have now prevented passage of the new voting restrictions twice by depriving the House of the minimum number of members 
uh, whose presence is necessary to do business first during the House's regular session that ended in May and again in the first special session that began last month and ends on Friday. They are now, as I note, in D.C. attempting to beg federal lawmakers in Congress to take action because they say they can no longer protect voting rights in the Lone Star State other than by leaving the state to refuse to allow a quorum to pass the, uh, uh, the GOP measure. Abbott vowed, I will continue to call special session after special session. Texas state Democrats have not immediately responded to the announcement, but they have spent this week discussing their next steps. As we approach the end of the first suppression session, and there's a threat of a second, said state rep Trey Martinez Fisher, of Texas in a uh, in an interview on Wednesday, according to the Post, uh, we will put all our options on the table again. The same options we used in May, the same options we used in July. Nothing has changed in our calculus. We have options. We can use them. And by now, Republicans know that we mean what we say. Breaking quorum again is quote definitely a tool in our toolbox," said uh, Rep. Gina Hinojosa. In an interview on Tuesday on the sidelines of a voting rights rally at the U.S. Capitol, adding that she is not sure when she will be heading back to Texas. It depends what Congress does here, she said. There's talk of postponing the August recess. She said, I think they should. We're not on vacation. We're working around the clock here. And of course, she is right. Uh, Congress does plan to go on uh, recess for the bulk of the month of August very shortly. Why are they doing that? Why should they do that when uh, Texas uh, legislators can't even go back to their own homes and their own jobs? You know, being a Texas uh, state rep is like a part time gig. They only meet once uh, for a few months every two years, I believe. So most of the time. They have real jobs, they have families they have to take care of, and they can't go back to the state or else they risk being arrested. And they are staying in D.C. in order to try to fight for the right to vote. So where the hell is Congress going? And all of this, in turn, is why it is so important to pass federal legislation like the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act to try and counter these state efforts by Republicans in advance of the 2022 elections. It's also why Republicans in Congress are filibustering all such measures and why it is therefore so frustrating to see Democrats like West Virginia's Joe Manchin and Arizona's Kirsten Sinema refusing, at least for now, to reform the filibuster to allow it to be waived at the very least for passing voting rights bills, constitutional rights like voting, much less, you know, getting rid of the anti-democratic Jim Crow era Senate rule entirely, which has nothing to do with the Constitution. Now, while some think all hope here may be lost, I am not one of those people. And while some think that Joe Biden should do more to push Manchin and Cinema and others to get rid of the filibuster, they may be right. On the other hand, Joe Biden knows folks like Joe Manchin as well as anyone, certainly better than you or me from his years working with him in the U.S. Senate. So he also knows what may or may not actually work with folks like Manchin. 
And of course, at the same time, he's also trying to get this massive $4 trillion long overdue, much needed, partially bipartisan infrastructure bill passed through a, a minefield in Congress, without which Democrats have almost zero chance, if they don't pass this thing, almost zero chance of hanging on to the House and or the Senate next year, at least in my opinion. That's even if voting rights laws are passed. They must get infrastructure through. And also, by the way, uh, without which, without that, that infrastructure package, survival for humanity on this planet amid our worsening climate emergency, as Desi Doyen will underscore, I suspect, a bit later in her latest Green News report. Yeah, kind of a thing, kind yeah, of a thing. We will have even less of a chance, uh, you know, than it seems right now as the planet burns and floods and runs out of water. Anyway, Desi will pick that ball up later. So that said, after infrastructure gets passed, if it gets passed, and I do hope lawmakers in Congress cancel their month-long recess to do it, well, I would like to think the pressure will turn big time, even from the president, we'll see, but even from the president to get a voting rights bill through the Senate somehow, even if it requires blowing up the filibuster, but we shall see. In the meantime... The necessity for activists and voting rights leaders to demand action on voting rights, to demand it now, and the necessity of federal legislators to continue to push for such uh, bills, that continues as Georgia's Senator Reverend Raphael Warnock, who is up for re-election himself in the Peach State next year, as he reminded rallygoers at a recess-can-wait, democracy-can't rally this week. Here we are in 2021, and they're trying to nullify our votes after our votes are cast all across this country. We know what this is. This is the Delta variant of Jim Crow voting laws. And the only vaccination is federal legislation. And so you keep standing up. See, I see what he did there. Yeah, I see what he though. did there. Yeah, not bad. So to that end, uh, on uh, on Wednesday, Senator Warnock's Democratic uh, Senate colleague, also from Georgia, Senator John Ossoff, introduced new federal le legislation to do something that most folks do not even realize needs to be done. He, he introduced a federal right to vote act. As his office described it in a press release on Wednesday, the measure is legislation to create a first-ever affirmative federal voting rights guarantee for all U.S. citizens, which a lot of people think we have, but we don't. A lot of people think that, you know, this already exists in the U.S. Constitution or even in U.S. law. It actually does not. There are protections for minorities, such as the 15th Amendment, it says minority voting rights can't be abridged. Uh, in theory, that means they can't be taken away or even restricted uh, from minority groups. But there is nothing that says that all American citizens above the age of 18 have the affirmative right to vote in the first place. So, yeah, if these right wing authoritarian Republican uh, lawmakers around the country decide that they, not the American people, want to decide who the electors will be to the Electoral College in the next presidential uh, election, there is really nothing to stop that. 
John Ossoff's bill aims to change that once and for all, along with companion legislation introduced in the U.S. House by New York uh, Congressman Mondaire Jones. Ossoff explained the bill on CNN on Wednesday, asking that grassroots organizers working on voting rights to, quote, keep pushing lawmakers to step up and noting that, quote, the right to vote is fundamental. The right to vote is fundamental. People bled and died to secure it. And that's why this week I'm introducing the Right to Vote Act. And here's something that folks might not know. There does not exist in U.S. law an affirmative guarantee of the right to vote. And so the Right to Vote Act, which I'm introducing this week, establishes that affirmative guarantee of voting rights. And it holds that any American citizen can challenge a state law which diminishes or restricts the right to vote, which makes it harder to vote, and require any state in our union to justify those restrictions with specific purpose and justification, and to demonstrate that is the least restrictive means of achieving their ends. This is the Right to Vote Act, and it is a major contribution to this ongoing discussion in the U.S. Senate about how we can bring legislative remedies to bear that will safeguard the sacred franchise in our country. Now, you would think that would not be particularly controversial, a bill to <laughs> for the right to vote in uh, American elections. And you would be wrong. Very wrong. Uh, that uh, bill actually had a similar bill has has been uh, floated for years, introduced for years by then uh, Congressman Jesse Jackson, Jr., Year after year, he would put through such a bill in the House. It could never, Republicans just wanted nothing to do with it. What, a right to vote for all citizens? That, even as they're out there pretending they are fighting for democracy by trying to overturn elections around the overturn last year's elections all around the country and trying to put new laws in place to overturn upcoming elections around the country. Ossoff's announcement uh, adds the right to vote protects all actions necessary for Americans to participate in elections, including registering to vote, obtaining any ID required to vote, casting a ballot and ensuring that ballot is counted. And it includes endorsements from the ACLU Voting Rights Project, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, DEMOS, Stacey Abrams Fair Fight Action Group in Georgia and other civil and voting rights organizations. And speaking of the right to vote and to ensuring that ballots are counted as cast by the voter and speaking of Georgia, that is where we go next because, well, it seems we always do. And because we've got some uh, some pretty serious news on several fronts today regarding voting in the Peach State and uh, the alarm being sounded about their 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems that you may have heard of on this show that are forced on all voters at the polls. We have been decrying and warning about them for years, even as those same types of systems are now proliferating in other states and counties, not just Georgia. But other states, like here in California, specifically here in Los Angeles, where we, by the way, have an upcoming Republican ginned up recall election of our governor happening in just over a month, incredibly enough. And yes, we use unverifiable voting systems here in Los Angeles. Next door in San Diego, they use the exact same ones that they now use in Georgia. 
So lots of news, some of it encouraging as well, I think, straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to The Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At The Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Yes, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. If you're planning on voting anytime soon and they're going to force you to vote on touchscreen voting systems, please instead sign, seal, and deliver your hand-marked paper ballots. That's a message for folks here in California where there's a recall election coming up very soon. And in Georgia, where there are also elections straight ahead. All right. I have uh, I've long made the case on this program and at Bradblog.com for many, many years, well over a decade now, about the need uh, for people to know that ballots as cast by voters, that they must actually be verified. We must be able to know that ballots have been verified by those voters as reflecting voter intent before they are cast. And that can simply never be known to be the case when it comes to computer touchscreen voting systems, such as ballot marking devices or so-called BMDs. American democracy, I have argued, cannot survive unless we have a system where votes and ballots are actually verified by the voter before they're cast and that they are known to have been verified after the polls have closed. Otherwise, you'd have people running around attacking the Capitol with insurrections and filing lawsuits and everything else trying to overturn results. We need voting systems that are not only verifiable as proponents of these computer-marked paper ballots cast on these touchscreen BMDs, like to say, but ballots that are actually known to have been verified by the voter, him or herself. And the only way to do that is with hand-marked paper ballots, which are verified by definition because a voter fills it out with their own hand instead of trusting a computer to hopefully mark it as they might like to have it marked. Of course, a verified hand-marked paper ballot also presumes a documented, secure chain of custody for those ballots, but that's a separate issue. As to the ballots themselves, I've long warned that the use of touchscreen BMDs for casting votes uh, is a terrible idea, exactly for that reason, that you know we can never know if they're if the ballots that are printed out by those computers were actually verified by any voter. And that's why I call BMDs, touchscreens, 100% unverifiable. After an election, we have no idea if any voter actually verified the computer's printed ballots the way that, you know, that they were printed the way that the voter had hoped. 
And this is a Republican and Democratic problem. Uh, Election officials from both parties have pushed for these devices. They're now forced on voters at the polling place across the entire state of Georgia, for instance, by its Republican Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger. They're also forced on voters at the polling place here in Los Angeles County, the most populous voting jurisdiction in the nation, larger in and of itself than more than 32 states, I believe 32 entire states forced on voters by our supposedly Democratic county clerk, Dean Logan. Also, next door in San Diego, they use the exact same type of Dominion voting systems that they are now forced to use in Georgia. Years ago, then New Jersey Democratic Congressman Rush Holt, uh, who back in 2005 and 2006 had an election integrity bill that he was pushing, he told me personally that he wanted every American in the nation to vote on a ballot marking device, which, of course, is why I strongly opposed his election integrity bill at the time, even though I worked on it to try to help make it better. But it was ultimately never adopted. And that that guy was literally a, a rocket scientist, Congressman Holt, literally. So people believed he must have known what he was talking about because it, he was a rocket scientist, literally. but not a voting system security. No, but expert. they assumed that he understood computer science because of it but apparently he didn't or he didn't care i can't tell you but at at the time even a bunch of computer scientists wrongly supported that bill and wrongly supported bmds they were a terrible idea then as i tried to point out and they are a terrible idea now and while i was once a very lonely voice trying to argue those points that it's impossible to know if a BMD ballot actually reflects voters' intent after an election. Recent studies now confirm that some 93% of voters do not notice when the computer has flipped one or more of their own votes. 93%. And that most people don't even bother to check the paper printout before casting it. And even if they do... Most still don't notice that the computer has flipped one of their votes or left one of them off the ballot. That issue is now very much in play in Georgia, whereas longtime listeners, I'm sure, know by now the Coalition for Good Governance has filed a lawsuit to ban the BMDs uh, in Georgia for all but use, by, uh, but by uh, disabled voters who may need an assistive device to vote uh, in favor of handmarked paper ballots for all at the polling place. Georgia Secretary of State Raffensperger has strongly opposed that. He favors his brand new, unverifiable and vulnerable BMD computer systems made by Dominion. This after the coalition's federal lawsuit, the same suit successfully led to a ban on the state's 20 year old Diebold touchscreen systems because they were found by the judge to be unverifiable and insecure and therefore unconstitutional. So they were banned only to see Raffensperger replace them with Dominion's newer touchscreens instead of using handmarked paper ballots. The coalition's suit continues as they try to ban the new systems as well in favor of handmarked ballots in advance of upcoming elections in the state. Well, thanks to journalist Mark Neese at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, we now know that even Brad Raffensperger knows that voters do not bother to check their printed ballots on his terrible computer touchscreen systems. But Raffensperger 
tried to hide that information from the public until a public records request uh, by Nice at the uh, at the AJC was able to shake out the results of a study that Raffensperger had taxpayer money to pay for, but he kept the results secret from voters. Now we know the results. As Nice reported last week, Georgia added paper ballots to in-person voting last year, but less than half of voters check them for accuracy. That, he says, is according to a study commissioned by the Secretary of State's office, which found that 49% of Election Day voters spent at least one second looking at their printed-out paper ballots, a feature of Georgia's new $133 million voting system. Nice breaks out the findings of the study, which came from you know, scientific observation at the polls, a whole bunch of polling places on Election Day in 2020. Get a load of these numbers. 20% of voters did not check the paper ballot at all. Oh, my. 31%, however, did look at the ballots for less than one second. 30% examined it for less than five seconds. Just 19% reviewed the ballots for more than five seconds to make sure the computer printed them correctly. So that's a full 51% who didn't bother to look at the paper printout before casting it or who looked at it for less than one second. 51%. And if you add in those who looked at it for less than five seconds... That is 81% of voters in a state with, if you haven't noticed, incredibly close elections, including the presidential election last year, where Biden reportedly won by about 12,000 votes out of 5 million that were cast. That's less than one half of 1%. Similarly close races with uh, Democratic Senators Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff in their runoffs in January to give the Democrats a majority in the Senate. They only won by about one or two points. And Georgia, former Secretary of State, now Republican Governor Brian Kemp, he is said to have defeated Stacey Abrams back in 2018 by just under one and a half points. Even as Brian Kemp is up for re-election next year on these new machines, which a vast majority of voters do not check to make sure that their votes are printed and cast as intended. And this is all according to the Georgia Secretary of State and his own study, which he did. He decided he didn't want to release publicly for some odd reason, which had to be shook out by journalists at the uh, Atlanta Journal-Constitution. They report with these uh, with with the news of all of this, that critics of computer printed ballots say the study exposes flaws in Georgia's voting system, I'll say. They note that if a hacker infiltrated voting systems, many voters would not notice that their ballots were incorrect. They wouldn't uh, and it wouldn't take many altered votes to swing a close election in the state. Election integrity advocates, they note, prefer paper ballots filled out by hand. They say that hand marked paper ballots like absentee ballots are verified when voters manually fill in the ovals without having to double check yet another document. A much higher rate of computer printed ballot verification would be needed to protect elections from interference, according to Rich DeMillo, the chair of the School of Cybersecurity and Privacy at Georgia Tech. He's been a guest on this show several times. He says 
an adversary is going to be able to pick a number of ballots to modify knowing that unexamined ballots are going to go into the ballot box. If it's hacked, would you ever know? Georgia is the largest known examination of voter behavior and ballot marking devices. Over 4,000 voters were observed in 39 precincts. In, and in what can only be described as nothing short of Orwellian, Secretary of State Raffensperger, he's quoted in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution in response to all of this about his secret, unreleased report. He's quoted this way. Get ready. Quote, this research shows voters do indeed review their ballots for accuracy before <laughs> casting them, demonstrating once and for all the Georgia system of touchscreen ballot printing is both accurate and easy for voters to use. Wow. That's what he says. He says millions of voters checking the accuracy of their ballots is proof, proof that the votes that were counted were for the candidates the voters intended. What? What is he even talking about? What is he on? And if this is proof, why didn't he release this uh, <laughs> study in the first place? So uh, here's another Orwellian response from a guy named David Becker, who I've uh, had to go back and forth with for years. He's supposedly a Democrat, supposedly an election integrity advocate. Uh, he used to be with People for the American Way. Years ago, he was the top proponent for Rush Holtz. Every American should vote on a BMD bill. He now works at a company that pushes BMD voting systems. Oh, there you go. And he blocks me on Twitter for some odd reason. Becker said the fact that we had paper ballots that were verified by a significant percentage of voters was a huge advantage in Georgia. I shudder to think, given the disinformation that we're seeing post-election, had we not had paper ballots that we could go back to and count. Well, yeah, David, we can go back and count them all right. We just can't know if any of them, other than those that were cast by hand via absentee, if they actually reflect the intent of any voter. About 21% of voters nationwide now live in jurisdictions that use ballot marking devices. That is a whole lot of 100% unverifiable votes in a nation with very close elections. Another 10% still cast ballots on electronic voting systems similar to Georgia's old systems, which didn't have a paper trail at all. The Coalition for Good Governance's federal lawsuit to ban these systems in Georgia continues as they're hoping to get an injunction on the use of these machines before the elections this fall. Marilyn Marks, the group's executive director and a frequent guest on this show, she tells me that the judge in that case has allowed one of the nation's top voting systems experts, J. Alex Holderman, director of the Center for Security and Society at the University of Michigan, He's been on this show, too, years ago. He also has hacked just about every system that there is. The judge allowed him to look at Georgia's Dominion voting systems specifically, but his findings apparently were so disturbing that they are sealed even from the plaintiffs themselves in this case. Marilyn Marks can't look at her own experts' findings. Seriously, only her attorneys can. That's how damning, apparently, the information from Holderman is. Neither, by the way, can the defendant in the case, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, or Dominion Voting Systems. 
Wait, so Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, and the voting system themselves, they're not allowed to see? Correct. Halderman's they can't see what's in this. Report that Correct. That is so disturbing? Correct. Oh, my gosh. The report is sealed for attorneys and, and the judge only. Uh, Marilyn also told me that, of course, Raffensperger, as Secretary of State, while he might want to look at it, since it reportedly includes major vulnerabilities in the systems that he's forcing everyone to use in the state, he has not asked the judge to do so because <laughs> he likely doesn't want to know. Marilyn has uh, begged the judge to do so. She has been denied. And so also Dominion apparently doesn't want to know either. They haven't filed a motion to look at this material. So to get around the seal on his report this week, Halderman filed an alarming brief that can be read publicly, warning that what he found was so disturbing it should merit a block on using these systems at all. But since I have spent so many years boring you with these issues, allow me to let the crack news team at 11 Alive WXIA in Atlanta to give you the latest on this since uh, local news in Georgia they are now finally figuring out what we have been trying to raise the alarm about for so many years. Here's the report, 11 Alive in Atlanta on Wednesday night. Cybersecurity experts are sounding the alarm about Georgia's voting system, a newly filed court brief. So they are suggesting that cities like Atlanta switch to hand-marked paper ballots in elections coming up this fall instead of the Dominion voting machines that were purchased by the state in 2019. 11 Live's Doug Richards is live in Midtown to explain. Doug? This is a critique that is separate and distinct from complaints raised uh, after the 2020 election discredited complaints raised by supporters of Donald of, of President Trump. Instead, these are critiques being made by cybersecurity experts, folks whose lives are and work are intertwined with computers who say that Georgia is asking for trouble by continuing to use the state's computerized voting systems. The state's voting machines, the ones used in the 2020 election, are vulnerable to hackers, say cybersecurity experts like Rich DeMillo. I'm one of, the, one of the, the cybersecurity professionals that thinks that the more computers we have in the system, the more vulnerable it is. DeMillo is the founder of Georgia Tech's new College of Cybersecurity. He says the state's voting system can be hacked through networks or by infecting one machine in a voting booth. Another computer hacking expert wrote a court brief detailing how he, with the blessing of a federal judge, experimentally hacked some of Georgia's voting machines. The court sealed the report to avoid tipping off real hackers how to do it. The state's electronic voting machines are set to be used in Atlanta's city election this year. State election officials say the machines worked last fall, despite unsubstantiated claims of widespread fraud by former President Trump and some of his backers. Yet, Dr. DeMillo says one successful election doesn't undo the threat of a hacked election. The analogy we use in cybersecurity is to Russian roulette. Uh, if, if you know there's a bullet in the chamber um, uh, and it didn't kill you the first time you tried, that's not an excuse for spinning the chamber again uh, and, and, and pulling the trigger. So the Secretary of State issued a statement uh, saying that the state remains vigilant and is constantly in touch with federal and state security partners uh, to protect Georgia's elections. Are they? Uh, the state bought this election system 
in 2019, after having to change over from a 20-year-old uh, previous election system, also computer-based, and uh, those some of these secures, uh, some of these concerns were raised prior to that purchase, and the state has shown that uh, it is interested very much in continuing to use the computer system that we used in the election last year. Yeah, so very uh, interested in continuing to use it despite all of the warnings from all of the experts and the Secretary of State's own report, secret report, which shows that nobody bothers to check the ballots to make sure they were printed out correctly in the first place. Unbelievable. Boy, but I'm glad to have someone else tell that story instead of me. <laughs> and for the record, again, the exact the exact same machines that are used in uh, Georgia that were just discovered to have been so vulnerable that the judge sealed the report in Georgia. The exact same machines are used in San Diego County, California, next door here to Los Angeles. And, of course, in other jurisdictions around the, the state and around the country, and very similar BMD systems are used right here in L.A. County, as you may have heard. And, yes, in California, we have a recall election for Governor Gavin Newsom coming up in just over a month on September 14th. Thankfully, the state is sending out paper ballots to all registered voters, but many will still vote at the polling place on these unverifiable uh, systems. And by the way, despite Newsom's popularity in the state, new polling this week shows that this GOP-pushed recall effort in a state where the Republicans can't seem to win uh, in an actual election, that recall is now said to be, according to new polling, a dead heat. So, yeah, this stuff matters. And I suspect we will have more on all of the above in the days ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Desi Doyen and the Green News Report is next. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. Our nightmare election may be over, but new ones are on the way. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to do it. Please stop by bradblog.com donate to make an automated monthly pledge of any amount you like or even just a one-time-only contribution to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. The fight for voting rights, civil rights, and to save our planet continues. Please help us continue that fight independently over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com donate right now. Go ahead, do it right now. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Okay, Des, it's your turn to drive everybody crazy, <laughs> sort of. I get yep. to take a break, at least for the next few minutes, during our latest Green News Report. Greek firefighters are battling 81 forest fires across the country as temperatures soar to 116 degrees Fahrenheit. Record heat wave in Europe accelerates record outbreak of wildfires. 
Wildfires are sending carbon offsets up in smoke. Plus... Yeah, it's frightening. There's a scenario here where people will run out of water. California tourist town on the verge of running out of water. Fantastic. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. California is running out of water, and this time, just when we started showering again. (laughs) Speak for yourself, Mar. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, we've been talking about floods, fires, heat waves in this country and in Europe. And they're not getting any better today, are they? No, they are not. Europe is broiling under an intensifying, record-breaking heat wave. Greece this week set a new all-time national temperature record of 117 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm. Then, on Tuesday and Wednesday, more than 75 wildfires broke out in Greece. Officials have closed the Acropolis in Athens during afternoon hours because of the heat. Studies show extreme heat waves are among the clearest manifestations of of human-caused global warming. In Turkey, people are being evacuated by sea because a wind-driven wildfire has ignited a coal plant near the town of Oren. Officials say the plant's hydrogen tanks were emptied prior to evacuation. I'm not sure I even got any snark left at this point. In the U.S., the National Interagency Fire Center says fire crews are now battling 97 large active wildfires. But some good news in Hawaii, fire crews are gaining ground on the largest wildfire in the Big Island's history. That's what suffices for good news? Wildfires in the U.S. are also sending carbon credit programs literally up in smoke. Carbon offset programs allow polluters to purchase credits for carbon sequestered by those projects, effectively allowing the companies to continue polluting. Yeah, that's the theory. But the wildfires are torching the forests being used as carbon credits. That's <laughs> according to nonprofit research firm Carbon Plan. So carbon offsets were always kind of a scam anyway. Now they don't even have the trees to use for this scam, I guess. Nope. Wow. Grist reports that the private insurance industry is increasingly ending coverage for farms in California as too risky due to the increase in catastrophic wildfires. And premiums for the state's public wildfire insurance program have quadrupled to unaffordable levels for small farms. Mm. The fires are driven by extreme heat and drought, and in Northern California, the historic town of Mendocino is running out of water. Wells are drying up amid an historic drought, forcing residents and business owners to spend thousands of dollars to truck in water from elsewhere. The heat waves and wildfires hit as the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change is about to release its latest global (laughs) assessment of climate science. Which is already, I'm sure, Totally out of date. Well, the IPCC's sixth assessment is expected to be grim and will explicitly link recent major extreme weather disasters around the world to man-made climate change. I don't know why they don't just release the Green News Report as the IPCC's next report. The report is being published in advance of the next phase of negotiations between governments on the United Nations Paris Climate Agreement, set for Glasgow in November. As climate scientists and climate campaigners have been warning, current 
pledges from governments are not enough to reach net zero emissions by 2050, according to senior UK climate official Chris Stark on the BBC. When you look at the the policies to deliver it, I'm afraid we are very off track, very, very substantially off track. Really only about 20% of the policy commitments that the government has made would take us uh, towards that that goal of net zero emissions. Fakest accent I've ever heard. But some good news. Good. As we go to air, the Biden administration is set to announce new pollution and mileage standards for cars and trucks over the next five years, hastening the shift toward electric vehicles and putting the U.S. back on track toward faster efficiency improvements that were previously revoked under former President Trump. Well, that is good. Finally, shipping company DHL announced it has ordered 12 fully electric cargo planes. The planes are by startup Eviation and can be flown by a single pilot and carry up to 2,600 pounds, up to 500 miles. All electric? Yep. Okay. I guess I'm not going to be that pilot. Uh, Good. Good news. Although I can't help but think looking back at this summer, a few years from now, I wonder if we'll all wonder, was this the summer when everything changed? Sure feels like it. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, Apple, or Google Podcasts. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. Oh, boy, do I. <laughs> yeah, uh, by the way, the historic town of Greenville, California, burned to the ground. Uh, overnight last night. Yes, it did. Just one more thing. We didn't have time to fit into today's report. And, uh, and after, Biden after did we make laid his this announcement. down, yes, yeah. Biden did make his announcement uh, establishing new car rules. So he signed an executive order setting a voluntary non-binding target of making 50% of American vehicle sales electric by 2030 and also said that the EPA and Department of Transportation will create new rules for tailpipe emissions and for mileage standards to save on gas. Much more on that, no doubt, in the day ahead by the way hopefully coming up on our next broadcast uh just to help lighten things up a little bit the uh co-creator of the daily show will be joining us if the radio gods are with us until then my thanks to our producer desi doyan to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us if you missed any portion of today's show or any other download it anytime for free at bradblog.com all of this is made possible by you listeners who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue what we try to do every day over your public airwaves Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. I will see you there until we see you here next time. I've got to fly away. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.